The second Bible reading is taken from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to God for his word. Well, good morning and welcome back. It is so good to be back. And it's particularly good uh, when we're here each week, just the few of us, singing to God, encouraging each other with our uh, words in song. It sounds so different. Uh, it's so wonderful to have many voices sing together. And of course, those of you in a hall, hopefully you're finding that encouraging to your heart as well as you sing together. And of course, those of you who are at home, we look forward to seeing you here back at church soon. Uh, but perhaps just a few words before we look at uh, our topic for today. Uh, first, um, really just to say a, a big thank you to all of you for praying for the eldership, for the board, for the ministry teams here, and of course for being so patient with us as we navigated how might we meet back together in a way that will honour God, in a way that will show our love and express our care and concern for all people in our church. And so thank you to all of you for loving us, uh, for being patient and for praying for us. But also a note of thanks to our eldership and the staff team. Um, you, you have to imagine how difficult it was to discuss, to um, work out how might we hold all the biblical principles in, in a wise tension. Um, but yet here we are. So this is how we have decided. And so thank you for supporting us in that. And also a big thank you to the Board of Management. They had a long meeting Tuesday evening to make sure that our meeting back will be compliant. So thank you, Board, uh, all the Board members. And of course, all the ministry teams and uh, those at the door, they have to get ready on short notice and be prepared. The kids, uh, teachers and crash teachers and, 
and everyone else. So thank you so much. So a big thank you to all of you. And so do encourage each other. Do encourage one another as you see people at the door, at the desk. Um, so keep each other in mind. And of course, we want to express Christian love in, in, in a genuine and sincere way. Uh, but now let's have a look at our topic for today. Our topic is God is infinite. As we think about God, I hope over the last few weeks you have been seeing how as we set our mind to considering God, our minds and our hearts are expanded. Our soul is expanded. I mean, what greater topic, subject for us to study than God himself. But as we come, let's uh, pray once again. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord of all heaven and earth, the one who is infinite and eternal. We pray, Lord, that as we come to consider you once again, we pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the topic for today is God is infinite. Now, when we use the word infinite, what do we mean by it? When we say infinity, what do we mean? Well, we hear the word used all over the place, don't we? You've watched the movie Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear. What is he saying? What does he say? To infinity and beyond. Well, what does he mean? Or if you have seen the Marvel movie, the big one, the Avengers, what is it called? Infinity Wars? Maybe that just reflects some of the age of us here. But anyway, some of us have watched that. The big one, infinity, what do we mean? Or, of course, it's also a mathematical symbol, you know, the number eight, but uh, lying down. But when we try to think about anything in terms of infinity, it's in fact quite hard to conceptualize. Take numbers, for example. What's the biggest number you can think of? The biggest number? A trillion? Quadrillion? A Google? A Googleplex? In fact, a Googleplex is 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 100. Now, if we're mathematically challenged, it's just a very big number. But one guy by the name of Wolfgang Nitschke, he, he decided to write out all those zeros in his volume. And so I found this quite hard to believe. This guy had a lot of time. But this is his book, Googleplex Written Out. And in each volume, there are one million zeros. And each page, it looks like this. And here's another page. And there are stacks of those. And it took 10 billion trillion seven times over volumes of book just to portray the number of zeros. I mean, it hurts the brain just to think about it. But as big as that number is, infinity is more. Or take the universe, for example. How big is the universe? We know the universe is vast and expansive, but just to put it into perspective, if we shrunk the size of the earth to the size of a golf ball, okay, our world to the size of a golf ball, then the sun, the center of our solar system, will be as big as a house. It's pretty big compared to a golf ball, right? But then that sun, compared to the biggest star in our galaxy, will be compared to the, the star by the name of Canis Majoris. And that will be the size of Mount Everest. And so there, there's a little perspective there. The sun, just a little speck compared to that biggest 
star in our galaxy, but there are in our galaxy over 200 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And then in the observable universe, there are billions upon billions of galaxies. It's huge. The universe is huge. It's vast. It's expansive. It's just hard to fathom. But infinity is even greater. Such that nothing, not even numbers or space, can confine or contain the one true living God who is infinite. And just as, as it's been for our series so far, the study of God is meant to humble us and drive us to worship. And as we consider God as infinite, it's meant to humble us because we're meant to feel so, so small and insignificant in relation to God. And it is meant to drive us to worship Him. Now, the other week I shared off Spurgeon, the sermon he gave when he was 20 years old. Part of that sermon, he also said this, Other subjects we can compass and grapple with. In them we feel a kind of self-content. We go our way with the thought, Behold, I'm wise. But when we come to this master science, that is the science of studying God, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, and that our eager eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise. But he is like a wild ass's colt, and with solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and know nothing. No subject is, uh, of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God, and especially because God is infinite. And so when we use the word infinity as a descriptor of God, what do we mean? Well, it is like a meta-attribute that qualifies all the attributes of God. And so when we think of power, God is infinitely powerful. When we think of wisdom, God is infinitely wise. When we think of love, well, God is infinitely loving. It qualifies all the attributes of God such that there is no limits to the perfection of God. No limits at all. And so you can see how wrong it is when we and our world try to box God in. By our thoughts, by our imaginations, by human philosophies. You see, God cannot be boxed in whatsoever because he is infinite. And so in what ways is God infinite? Well, when we talk about God being infinite in relation to space, that is his omnipresent, all-present, it was what we looked at last week when we considered that God is spirit. God can be everywhere at the same time present. So God can be comforting a grieving soul inside a hospital room, present, fully present, but yet at the very same time at the edge of the galaxy. That is our omnipresent God. Or when we talk about God being infinite in relation to time, it means that He is eternal. He is eternal. He stands outside the bounds of time. And that's the topic for next week. God is eternal. But today we'll be considering three points. The first is, God is infinite in power. He is, 
the, the technical word, the theological word, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Second, God is infinite in wisdom. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing, all-wise. And finally, God is infinite in goodness. God is all good, all just, all loving. And so first, God is infinite in power. This is so important for us to remember and to trust, especially now when we feel so weak, when we're limited and restricted, when we're confined to wherever we can go, however, whatever we can do. It is so important that the God we worship is an infinite God who is infinite in power. Now, this may or may not be something you're aware of, but the notion of an infinitely powerful God is unique to the God of the Bible. Even if you consider all the um, superhero movies, the Marvel, the DC movies, like Superman, you know, you look at Superman and you think he's invincible. He's got infinite power, but not at all. He's got a weakness. What is his weakness? Kryptonite, right? I had to ask my kid about this. Or Batman. Batman looks quite invincible, very powerful, infinitely powerful. Not at all. He's got a weakness. He gets emotional, Superman. He's manipulated emotionally, apparently, in one of the movies. Talk about his parents, and he gets all soft. That's Batman. And so their powers, not infinite. Of course, that's all made up. But you see, in the ancient world, it was a little bit like that. The gods of paganism, they all had limited powers. It was limited to different spheres of influence, whether it was just the sea or the land or the sky or the travels. Or it may be limited to geography, just this region, just that nation, just that tribe. And so that's why when we come to the Old Testament and we see God engaging with the pagan gods, there is no comparison at all in power, largely because they're not real anyway. But for example, in each of the plagues of the Exodus, God was demonstrating to the Egyptians that your gods are useless, powerless. I mean, the Egyptian sun god Ra had no power when the plague of darkness came over the land. He was meant to shine, but he could not shine. God was more powerful. Or when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, remember that story, and taken into the temple of Dagon? I mean, what a bad mistake that was. Dagon, the Philistine god, what happened to him overnight? He was found with his head broken off, his hands and his uh, palms broken, falling prostrate before God. Powerless, can't even help himself, can't even get himself up. God is more powerful. You see, there are no limits to God's power. There's no comparison because it is infinite. And that word can only be rightly used for God. Only he is infinite. Now, of course, I still find it very hard to just grapple with infinite power. How do you make sense of that? How, how do you contain that? Well, you can't contain that. I mean, some movies have tried to do it in that Marvel movie, of course. What happened when Thanos got invincible power? Half the universe died. You know, they try to make sense. How do you make sense? It's hard to make sense of. But yet, the words of Scripture, we can try to make sense of it. Though we must recognize, even in the words of Scripture, it is limited by what human language is able to express. But in our first reading, the reading from Job, that is an attempt, isn't it? 
God was revealing himself to Job. And God was putting Job in, in fact, God was putting the entire human race in our place. You are not God. You do not know. Don't guess. Don't talk. And so God, in a sense, sets out these rhetorical questions. There are about 123 of them. And with each of these rhetorical questions, we're meant to say and meant to answer, well, that's not me. I can't do that. And so, for example, 38 verse 4, God says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Well, let me ask you, do you know where were you when God laid the earth's foundation? Well, we don't know. We weren't there. You see, it's meant to put us in our place. The next verse, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. You see, even as we consider the vastness of the universe, there is no way we can really measure the universe. Use the telescope for, for sure, but really, can we really measure with any accuracy? But yet God stretches a measuring line and says, this is as far as you will go. See, anything can be measured by God, but God himself is measureless. Or another one in Job. Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? I mean, you see here God's power. is not just over the universe, over the material world, the physical world, but also the spiritual, over life and death itself. And throughout Scripture, we get these type of descriptions of God's infinite power. In Isaiah 40, God says, Who will you compare me to? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the starry host by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Notice what God is saying there. Look around. Look up who made them all. The answer is not you. It is God. And what does God say here? Not one star in the night sky will go missing because of the strength and power of God. I mean, we don't even have enough words to name all the stars in our galaxy. There are over 200 billion stars. But yet God knows them all by name. What type of power must you have to be able to do such a thing? It has to be infinite power. And we cannot forget how it all came into being. The vast expanse of the universe, the billions upon billions of stars... The ant, the beetle, the plant. How did it all come into being? God simply spoke. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let the water teem with fish. It was effortless. And that's why we read in Scripture very clearly over and over again in Genesis 18. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? When God promised to give Sarah a child. Jeremiah 32. Look, I am Yahweh, the, Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Or Matthew 19. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
And so there's something very nice and true about that Colin Buchanan song that we teach children. Do you know that one? My God is so big. Any kids here? Oh, they're probably in kids' church. But you big kids, you would know. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. You see, whatever comes to pass, it does not take place outside of God's infinite power. Nothing happens outside of God's infinite power. Just try to grapple with that. Even our human will does not escape God's control. Our human will does not escape God's control. Otherwise, it will be a marvelous achievement if we, by our own power, remove ourselves from God's sovereign and absolute power. We cannot escape him. I mean, just try to picture how powerful that power is. I mean, have you ever wondered how big and powerful God is? At any moment in time, there could be a million prayers prayed to God. I mean, for me, I can only listen to one voice at a time. I can't really multitask. At any moment in time, there could be a million prayers prayed to God over billions of people in need of God's help. How could, how could God do all that? And how could God do all that while maintaining, at the same time, the earth's rotation around the sun? Or sustaining the life of the ant and the beetle? Is God really able to do all of that, care for every single individual, and not miss a beat? Well, the only way he can is if he is of infinite power, and that he is. He can, at the very same time, provide all the needs of everyone in his creation. I love Broughton Knox. He's the uh, former principal of the Bible college I attended. He, he put it this way. The infinite power and the infinite mind of God, to which the marvels of creation bear witness mean that he is able to give full attention, care and protection to every person throughout the world with the same intensity of concern that he would give if he were related to a single individual. You know what, what that means? It means that God cares for you as though you are the only individual he cares for. But yet he cares for every person the same. Only an infinite God can do such a thing, and that is our God. And God is also, second, infinite in wisdom. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that God is all-wise, all-knowing, omniscient. It means that nothing escapes God's knowing. It means that God really knows everything. God knows everything. And so when anyone says, no one understands me, well, that's not true because God does. Or when anyone says, well, no one knows what, what's the, what the future holds, well, that's not true because God does. Or when, when anyone says, well, no one could have predicted that, well, again, that's not true because God could not only predict it, God not only knew it, God actually ordained it. 
You see, there is nothing that escapes God's knowing. And you see, God's knowing is also very different to our knowing. When we know things, how do we understand, gain understanding and information and knowledge? We know things by observation, by experience. We know things as they are, not how they will be. Of course, we make all sorts of predictions. We predict what the weather will be. We'll do all sorts of modelling. But we can never be so certain about that, especially here in Melbourne. But God's knowing is very different. God's knowing is not after the fact. It is before the fact. Things only happen and things only take place because God already knows it. God's knowing is before the fact. Take, for example, creation. We only know of creation after creation, after things have been created. By science, by observation, we discover more of what is already there. In fact, without creation, we wouldn't even be around. We can't even do science. But with God, before creation came into being, he knew it already. He knew how the rain will work, that there will be evaporation and condensation and um, precipitation. I just have to research that. I forgot a bit of science. Or he knew how the seasons will work, the earth orbiting around the sun, tilted on its axis. He knew how the body will function, the digestive system, the immune system. It's because God knew it that it came to pass. God's knowing is before the fact, different to our knowing. And so Broughton Knox again, he, he puts it this way. God does not have to wait on the event to know, to know it as we do. He knows it before it happens, and it only happens because he knows it and wills it. And so what I want us to, I guess, sense and feel the weight of is there is really nothing that takes God by surprise. Not only what will take place, God knows, but God knows the infinite possibilities of what could have taken place. God just knows it all. No surprises. I mean, it just even hurts the brain a little. Just try to conceptualize that. And that is why the Apostle Paul, he was somewhat left, left breathless when he considered the wisdom of God. You can never scale the heights of God's wisdom nor can you plumb the depths of God's knowledge. And in his wonderful doxology, remember, theology must lead to doxology. Right understanding of God must lead to praise of God. And so in Romans 11, do you remember what he said? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has even first given to him and has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, God is infinite in wisdom. And his wisdom and knowledge is so vast that he even knows us better than we can possibly know ourselves. God is infinitely wise. And finally, God is infinitely good. And so whatever our perception, whatever our understanding of what good is, just think about the highest good in your mind. 
God is infinitely so. Whatever the highest goodness we can even conceive of in our minds, that is still not God, because God is infinitely more than that. And so when we come to think about the goodness of God, just like everything else as we come to think about God, it's meant to just blow our minds again. And we read in Scripture over and over again that God is good. Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good. Mark 10, no one is good but one, God. God is good in his very nature. And we understand the goodness of God by understanding his infinite justice and by understanding his infinite love. And so God who is good is also just. A good God, God is also just, and he's infinitely so. As Lord over creation, he will hold creation to account. And being infinitely wise and powerful and good, God will bring about perfect justice. It is part of his goodness. He will bring about perfect justice. It is part and parcel of being the creator. And for there to be perfect justice, there must be judgment. And it will be thorough and complete. You see, we, we listen to the, the court systems we have in our world and we see how there's bribery and loopholes and, and people are turning a blind eye and people just getting away with all evils and wickedness. Not so with God. It will be thorough and complete. Now that should be both comforting and terrifying. It's comforting because we will know that one day all injustices will be dealt with. All the evil and wickedness we see, done to others, done to ourselves, it will be dealt with. But it should also be terrifying because we too fall under the scrutiny of God's perfect justice. We too fall under that. And so remember what Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 12. Jesus said, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Now when you hear that, does that frighten you? God's perfect justice, infinite justice, will mean that even every careless word, every idle word, as insignificant as they are, will not escape God's assessment because he is infinitely just. Nothing escapes him. But yet, God's infinite goodness is also seen in his infinite love. And this is where so many of God's attributes come together. Because how have we seen most clearly the infinite love of God displayed and demonstrated? How can God show his infinite love in a finite way so that we can understand it? Well, the answer is Christmas and Easter. It is the incarnation and it is the crucifixion of God the Son. The incarnation. You see, for just, just think about the incarnation. It is a marvel of what God has done for us. For the infinite, uncontainable God, 
to take on human flesh, to be finite, to be contained, to become a finite human being. How is that at all possible? I thought God was infinite. Well, the only way it's possible is because God is infinitely powerful. He's able to make it so. But he's also infinitely loving. He's willing to do so, and he has done so. You see, in the incarnation, that is Jesus taking on human flesh, becoming a man, being born as an ordinary child, growing up like any other child, learning to walk and talk. In the incarnation, that was a dramatic display of the infinite love of God. Now, if you know C.S. Lewis, he's got this wonderful illustration that helps us appreciate the marvel of the incarnation. C.S. Lewis would say, Would you become a dog to express your love for your dog and therefore abandon your human relationships and fellowships, your, your friendships, your spouse, your children? Would you become a dog to love a dog in that way? Now, I know there are dog lovers and serious dog lovers out there. No offense. On my runs around Garner's Creek, I see people walking with prams. But these are not prams for babies, but for dogs. I kid you not. Dog lovers. Nothing wrong with that. But would you become a dog to express your love for a dog? I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Or would you, let's stretch it a bit more, become an ant? to express your concern for an ant if you do love ants. Well, one in my growth group has said, if I see an ant in my room, I just kill it. But yet, I just want us to understand the, the chasm. In the infinite love of God, he has done far more than that for us. The chasm between us creatures and God as creator is so vast that the only way that chasm can be closed is if God the Creator comes into his creation. And that is what he has done in his Son, Jesus Christ, in taking on flesh. Somehow the infinite God becomes a finite human being in Jesus Christ. But yet the focus of God's infinite love and his justice and his goodness and his wisdom and his power is seen most gloriously at the cross of Christ. You see, at the cross of Christ, we see all those infinite attributes of God take focus. How do you see the infinite justice of God at the cross? You see, because our offense, the offense of our sins, is against an infinite God, you actually require a sacrifice that is big enough to cover for that sin. In fact, require in a sacrifice of infinite worth to atone for that sin. And that's what we have in Jesus. You can't have it any other way. No one else could have done it. No one else could have drank the Father's, the cup of the Father's wrath. Well, Thomas Goodwin, English Puritan, he puts it this way. For as the offense is against an infinite glorious God, so the holy works are wrought by one as infinite. Only Jesus can. Now, how do you see the infinite wisdom of God at the cross? Well, no one would have been able to work out in a million years that the most wicked, evil event 
in all of human history will be the same event to be the event that would save the world, the greatest event of all. God's foolishness, we're told, is wiser than human wisdom. And God destroys the wisdom of the wise at the cross. You could never have guessed that the death of the Son of God, a wicked event, would be the salvation of the world. Or how do you see the infinite power of God at the cross? We well, see, at the cross, God defeated the power of death by the death of his Son. Death killed by death. And it was, of course, through the message of the cross, which was seen as foolishness to the world. But yet it is the power of God for those who are being saved. And so God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. Though a tragic event, but yet it was the power of God to save. And how do you see God's infinite goodness and love? Well, we see God pouring out his love in his Son in giving his son for us. You see, at the cross of Christ, we find the focal point, the attributes of God, his, his power, his wisdom, his goodness, his justice, his love, all find focus. When Jesus bowed his head and died, it was like a quake that reverberated throughout the entire universe. Just try to grasp what happened. At that one point, infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite love being displayed at that point. Mark Jones, an author, he puts it this way. The infinite one stoops and stoops and stoops in order to raise us to places that are undeserved. Our union with the infinite Son of God puts us in the most privileged place possible for a human being. Far more privileged than Adam's place in the garden. And that is God who is infinite in goodness. And so if we're finding this quite hard to grapple with, well, in a sense it's meant to be because how do you understand infinity? But what's even harder to try to understand is that this infinite God is for us. That he will be for you. Why would he care? He's got everything going for him already. Why would he care? But he pours his infinite power for you. His infinite love for you. That he would care for us finite human beings. And so the first response for all of us to such an awesome God has to be repentance. We are put in our place when we face such a God. We have to repent. One of the growth group members in my growth group, when we discussed this topic, I asked, how do you respond to such an infinite God? He said, fear. I said, that is absolutely right. You have to fear such an incredible God. We must repent. Turn back to God and not live our own ways. Not live as though we think we are powerful, we are all known. We are not. We are weak. We are finite. You see, Job, he did, he did it right. He got the right response. He, he, when he was confronted by God, he responded rightly. He said later in the last chapter of Job, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. He spoke beyond he knew. 
But even as we repent, we remember the wonderful promise of Jesus Christ. Remember his promise in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Now let's try to understand that in light of the infinite God. What is the invitation about? The invitation is not just to come to a carpenter. The invitation is to come to the infinite God who is not burdened by anything. Come to me, all you who are burdened. You got burdened. Well, come to God because he will not be burdened by anything because he is infinitely powerful. And so whatever troubles we have, whatever matters we struggle with, big or small, massive or tiny, we must remember that they are still finite troubles. What is it that weighs on our hearts? What is it that weighs on your heart at the moment? And I know that there are many of us carrying much burdens upon our hearts. I know some of us go to night each night in tears. Some of us struggle with health issues daily. Some of us cannot shake off the burdens we've been bearing for years. But we remember they are still finite problems. And we can bring them to our infinite God. And we can rest assured that there is that rest, that comfort and love. And that's why the Apostle Paul was so confident when he said those words in our second reading. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why was he able to say so? Because this is the love of the infinite God who has poured out his love for us in his son Jesus Christ. He did not pour out a little bit like just gave us a glass of water, have a drink and that is it. It's a bit more like he poured out Niagara Falls, amount of water, you can just not take it all in. You'll be drowned by his love. It is so profound. And I want you to reflect on this. If God has set his love on you, it's not a little bit of his love. If God has set his love on you, it is infinite love. And it is him who stands behind it. There's this old poem written by a rabbi about a thousand years ago. But it was discovered, scratched on the walls of an insane asylum by a patient. It was uh, discovered several decades ago. Now, we don't know the story of this patient who was in this room, this asylum, scratching the text on the wall. Perhaps this patient was feeling quite small and finite and insignificant and helpless and hopeless and unloved. But yet somehow, this patient was able to find comfort in the infinite love of God. Now these words were adapted by Frederick Lehman into his hymn. But it is the last verse of the hymn. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
Now, don't you just love that? If all the ocean was used as ink, it would not be enough to write about the love of God because it is infinite and it is poured out on us. And so how do we live? How do we live today? How do we live tomorrow? Well, we live in our finiteness with our limitations, but we live knowing and trusting that God has no limitations. We live knowing that our finite problems and our finite lives are in fact held in the hands of the infinite God, but hands that also bled for us. And we don't forget that perspective. We don't forget that perspective. We live with the perspective that we will also spend eternity marveling, delighting, celebrating, praising the infinite God, our infinite God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. The Heavenly Father, how can we ever fathom who you are, the infinite God with an infinite love even for us? But yet as we consider who you are, infinite in power, wisdom and goodness, help us to repent. Help us to submit to you. Help us to place all our burdens upon you knowing that you are not burdened by any of them. And help us to see how our life will stretch into eternity. For you are that infinite God who draws us close. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.